Good evening, friends. Thanks for joining us for another Monday with the Think Town podcast. I'm, of course, Paul Glasgow. We got Chad Marino, Mackenzie Thorne, and Kendall Pruitt. And uh, we're ready to get rolling, guys. We're going to jump right into this. The first thing I want to discuss real quick before we get into our topics is going to be the gun giveaway that we announced last week. We're going to be doing a pretty cool gun giveaway. Actually, we'll probably do a few gun giveaways, but the first one we're kicking off is with this Tipman Arms uh, slash Gun Owners of America limited edition AR-15. This thing is uh, a 22 long rifle, so it's going to be a good training tool uh, to bring up your young children, get them acclimated to how to manage a firearm, teach a little bit of gun safety to them. But essentially, it's going to be a cheaper way to train and a cheaper way to shoot if you want to go to the range. So you'll be able to expend some 22 long rifle rounds through this thing. Um, it's got proprietary magazines by Tipman. They make their own so that it feeds properly. Any of you guys that have some uh, knowledge of AR-15s running the 22 long rifle platform, you know that they can be problematic from a magazine standpoint. Tipman Arms has perfected that magazine, so um, you definitely want to try this thing out. Um, I'll be running a review on this thing on Legally Armed America uh, because I'll keep, I have one for myself as well, but I will be giving this one away. I can't touch it, put it in front of the screen because any of you guys that are familiar with YouTube's policies know that during a live stream, we cannot touch, handle, feel, uh, molest, uh, whatever, a firearm. Uh, I can do it in a video, which is absolutely stupid. I can upload the video, but I can't touch it in a live stream. So sorry, that's it behind me. Um, we will, oh, by the way, chat has on screen. There's a lot of different ways, if you guys will remember um to get additional entries so the initial entry that you put in is not the only entry you have and in some cases you can go in there daily and put in for additional entries in order to win so we're going to pick this thing at the nra annual meeting in a couple of months so you got plenty of time to enter but you again you can do some daily entries in here so that's definitely going to help you guys out but notice all the different ways obviously legally armed america is providing the rifle so um, you know, we have some opportunities in there for you guys to go follow some of our pages, but we also want you to follow. And really, that's the main push on this is to push you guys to the different places to look at the Think Town podcast information, the different social media platforms that we're on. Uh, we are trying to push a lot of our audiences to that. I know a lot of you guys are watching on Legally, on Legally Armed America, but we really want to get to a point where we evolve everyone who's trying to look at the political type stuff that we're putting out on Think Town just on Think Town so that it's not on legally armed because I know a lot of Second Amendment stuff is uh, you know, political, but I'm trying to keep all of the political stuff off of legally armed and keep it mostly Second Amendment related. So at some point, the evolution will be complete and we'll move everybody over there. And I won't be able to show this on legally armed anymore. So if you guys would, please go over to Think Town's uh, YouTube. Certainly subscribe there because that's where we'll be live streaming. Obviously, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter as well. So all those links are right there. Chad has those on screen and they will get you additional entries into the contest. So you want to check that out. Thanks, Chad. Chad said he's watching on the Think Town podcast tonight. Chad is a longtime follower of Legally Armed America. So that, thank you, Chad. I appreciate you doing that because, again, there will be a time where you won't be able to catch it here. Guys, I think we're going to jump straight into it if everyone here is ready. Um, we have a couple of pretty good topics that we, and we try to stay topical on our topics and one of the things that I think is on everybody's mind right now that we're all kind of talking about and just in some cases wondering is um, the Silicon Valley Bank failure. I think this is a massive thing. I think that it's huge. Um, it, it appears that it can definitely have a ripple effect. I know a lot of this type of stuff, especially financial, especially financial type stuff, you may not want to talk about. You may not be interested in, but 
essentially can affect all of us and certainly can affect anyone that has any kind of savings. If you have a business, um, anything like that is, is certainly susceptible to any kind of a bank failure or collapse. Um, one of the things that, well, let me just read a couple of little points right here and we'll get into the discussion with the group. Uh, let's see, Silicon Valley Bank, now the second largest bank to collapse in U.S. history and the largest since the 2008 financial crisis experienced what is known as a bank run. When a large number of clients fearing the bank won't be able to repay their deposits, all try to withdraw their money at the same time. Without demand for withdrawals outstripping their the ready supply of cash, a bank in this situation is doomed to fail. The panic began after Silicon Valley Bank announced it sold $21 billion worth of its investments at a nearly $2 billion loss. This was last week that this took place. The bank did this because it needed to free up money to meet withdrawal demands. The bank's high-tech, excuse me, the bank's tech-focused client base was particularly hungry for cash after influxes from venture capital firms slowed in recent months. So essentially what happened is this is primarily a startup company bank or a startup uh, lending institution bank, uh, but also with a lot of big time investments in um, a lot of the tech industry. So a lot of money in the tech industry is tied up there and there's not been the amount of venture capitalists and people injecting money into the investment side of the tech industry as of late. Why? I don't know, because it seems like the tech industry is still thriving like it always has. But nevertheless, the investments have kind of dried up a little bit. Well, obviously, it takes money to run different companies and all that. So some of these people are liquidating some of their assets in these banks, pulling that money out of it. Well, what happens is when you have people start talking about it in these circles, because remember, that tech circle is a pretty tight circle. Everybody talks. Uh, Kendall, you spend a lot of time in the, uh, the car industry, you know, people in the car. You don't have to work for the same company. A lot of these people talk with each other. They know each other. A lot of the industry professionals, no, no. yeah, they've worked with one another, so they still communicate with one another. You don't have to work for every single bank to be able to know people at all the banks that you may have worked for at one bank before. So in a lot of cases, these people are all talking. I find it particular, uh, particularly odd that last week, Silicon Valley Bank, not only were they going like easing their way into this, this was not a shock. They knew that they were approaching this point last week of going belly up, but they also paid out their annual bonuses last week on Friday uh, before the bank was seized. They paid out annual bonuses to all of their top brass. They also had a run on their money leading up to that. So obviously word got out. Um, in fact, um, a lot of the, I think the CEO sold off $41 million worth of assets or something like that some crazy number. Um, so that's insider trading is what that is. You can call it whatever you want, but you and I go to jail for that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, these guys got away with that, uh, paying out their bonuses and doing all the thing that corrupt people do. And I think they did a lot of this because they knew that the federal government was going to bail them out. Now, Chad, you mentioned earlier when we talked about how uh, allegedly this money that's going to be used to bail out this bank and others that are going belly up too, because this is not the only one. You had mentioned that um, it was supposedly not going to be government money. While that's funny and not true, right. I wanted to see what what you heard because I had not read that. So yeah, that was that was on the news tonight. I was just listening to it. I was making dinner, and and they said that uh, these bank or these uh, people would be made whole. They'd get their money back from whoever, wherever it's coming from. But 
they did mention that this was a there was another fund that was not taxpayer money that this money would come out of. Um, I can do a little research here in a little bit, see if I can find it. But I thought that was a that was interesting since this didn't qualify for FDIC protection. Yeah, for those that either don't know or don't care, um, your funds are insured up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars at a bank. That's the FDIC that you always see on these doorways, these stickers that go into them. It used to be one hundred thousand dollars. Now it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So this bank was obviously had a lot of businesses. I mean, most of your businesses, if it's not just like a lawn service or something like that, they're going to be operating with $250,000 or more. Um, so a lot of people are going to be exposed at this point and have an issue with um, knowing that they're probably not going to be made whole. And as, as Chad's saying, there's this magical bucket of money out there somewhere that um, <laughs> if the government is managing money that's been going into a bucket that somebody's been paying into so that for emergency use later, I don't think we have to look much further than Social Security to know that the government's not very capable of managing a big bucket of money for emergency use later on. They're just they have a proven track record of failing miserably on that. Uh, but I hadn't heard that. So I think we ought to look into that. Um, I've made I'm a, I want to make a couple of more points that I found in this article. Uh, let's see. Yeah, here we go. One of the comments that has been made is that, of course, every time <laughs> the Biden administration administration screws something up, they blame the Trump administration, which is really ironic and funny because you'll remember that, like with the Keystone Pipeline, we'll talk more about that later, and a, a slew of other things, they rolled back lots of the things Trump did or wanted to do right off the bat. So a bunch of the policies that Trump had Day one and week one, they rolled a lot of them back. If they had a problem with this policy and foresaw something like this happening, why didn't they roll this back? Because now they're just as much to blame because they've rolled back hundreds of other Trump policies, but they let this one and oddly enough, the one with the train derailment in Ohio, supposedly that was Trump's fault too because something that he rolled back. Again, I guess they're not perfect because they didn't roll back everything that Trump put into place. But the thing just to point out what the specific thing was that Trump rolled back. I felt like this was important because everybody keeps talking about Trump, but not mentioning the thing that he rolled back. Let's see. Uh, the adjustment that he made maintained stringent oversight for the largest banks, but eased regulations for smaller and mid-sized banks. That's where this one would have qualified. Whereas the original Dodd-Frank law, this was under the Obama administration, while that mandated stricter capital and liquidity standards for institutions with $50 billion in assets, the rewrite by Trump raised the minimum for such requirements to those with at least $250 billion in assets. So it raised it from $50 to $250 billion. Now, why is that important? It's important because if, you're, if we're looking at things from a percentage standpoint, <clears throat> if you have a bank that has, let's say, a trillion dollars in assets, if they're expected to have on hand, let's say, a billion dollars in cash in case multiple people want to cash out, then if they have a trillion dollars, a bank that has just a billion shouldn't be required to keep a billion on cash, right? That's all of their money. That's all of their deposits that would have to be kept on hand. So what Trump and those guys did was they said, from a percentage standpoint, however small your bank is, you're going to be required to keep that same percentage of cash that we expect the big ones. Not the same dollar amount of cash, but the same percentage of your overall deposits. So, I mean, if it's 10%, then obviously you're not going to be having the same amount of cash, 
but comparing it to your deposits, it's going to be equivalent as far as that goes. So that that's why that's important because they make it sound like a bunch of regulations were stripped out of this organi- organization that just or this institution that allowed all these banks to just go out there and start doing stupid things that the government could have or would have regulated. Now, my point to that, and the reason why I bring that up, is because are we to believe that Congress and the federal government are more capable at managing money than the financial institution? Because I'd like to remind everyone that we are over $31 trillion in debt as a country. I'm not so sure the White House and Congress needs to be telling the banking institution how to manage their business. And I'll turn that over to you guys. Kendall, what do you I'll, think? Real quick, Paul, I found the uh, what they where they said the money was coming from. Okay. So it says the Treasury Department mm-hmm. and the FDIC are using money uh, from the FDIC Deposit Insurance Fund, the DIF, which is funded by bank fees and investment earnings to replace lost deposits at the Fells Bank. It's pre-funded and currently has over $100 billion in it, Treasury officials said. So... Has over a hundred billion. Yes, and they're saying that uh, I read earlier, and I do not see it now. Okay, here we go. The Silicon Valley Bank, and this is all you need to know. Silicon Valley Bank at the time the bank crumbled had two hundred and twelve billion dollars in deposits, so <laughs> it would drain all one hundred billion of that money and still be a hundred and twelve billion short. So you know what's going to happen. Well, I said government. that that is sufficient. It's fully sufficient is what they said and quoted. Well, I'm just using math. Yeah, I well, mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> Apparently they didn't. Hang on. Let me get my calculator out. I can check my numbers if you want me to, but these yeah. are pretty round numbers. So that's that's pretty incredible. I, uh, put that in the, li- in the private chat if you don't mind that, okay. that article. I'd like to read that one later. Kendall, what's your thoughts uh, on it, this? Well, I did a little read too. There, there's this guy, Jason uh, Furman, chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, um, says that there's going to be no expected cost to taxpayers. Now, I know political lingo, and I know when they say no expected, that really means there's a chance. And so you look at the stuff that they're saying, um, who's going to pay for it? I mean, it, it's either going to be us or nobody, right? I mean, they're, they're not really going to, you know, just let this happen. It's going to go back to the too big to fail concept, right? I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, but, you know, the federal government, you know, has its own rules and regulations. And then you had the state of California, which is probably the most regulated state in our union, right? Yeah. And, and they're going to lead the way. I mean, this is the biggest, you know, issue since 08 or whatever. I mean, was it 08? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's one of those things that, you know, how did we get this far? Yeah, you invest in, you know, venture capitalism, you know, these funds, but they're long-term funds. How much money did you dump into these funds expecting this to be the way to go? I mean, I realize that you are a Silicon Valley bank, but you're putting all your money into what you do. I mean, there's got to, like you said, some insider trading going on somewhere, shape or form. I mean, it just reeks of bad news, in my opinion. Well, I think the root of their business was these big companies would come in and they'd pull loans every time they wanted to take money. Well, as interest rates went up, the companies were like, well, it's too expensive for me to take a loan. I'm just going to use the money I've got. Right. So they started pulling from their own pool and the bank was no longer lending. They They were outputting the funds. 
And that's, that's where right. they came up short because the interest rates were up and the bank and the companies didn't want to take a, a loan at a lower rate or a higher rate. And the banks had put all their eggs in one yeah. basket, expecting and to have those loans. Yes, and make they, the were, money they were already invested right, in right. these things that they couldn't pull out of without a loss. Yeah, because they're used to a Trump administration. You're used to a Trump administration. Things are thriving. Things are growing. And now you go to the inflation that we have right now. And that's that inflation drives it right up. And so therefore puts you in this situation. Yeah. Without a doubt. I'm at a loss. Yeah. Mackenzie, what are your thoughts? You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to lie to you guys. Um, very few times will I be a little bit speechless. But this is a topic that I'm still learning more about. So I really don't want to say too much that. I just am not too educated on, but it's really fascinating to listen to you it's, guys. And um, kind of what Kendall was saying, you know, just like with the economy, the way that it is, um, I was pretty young in 2008. Like I was still in high school. So <laughs> that whole thing, I rub it in, rub it in. I know. I'm sorry, you guys. In 2008, I was more worried about, you know, my basketball games and stuff going on. But, um, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but now that we're kind of experiencing all of this inflation and whatnot, it's, it's kind of, I'm learning as, a lot of the rest of you know the millennials right now, honestly. So it's really intriguing to listen to you guys talk about this stuff but as speak, far as banking goes. Speaking of millennials, in fact, somebody in the comment section just put something similar to it in there that they all invested in crypto. Remember yeah. the FTX <laughs> debacle that happened a couple of months ago? That's all part of that same industry that obviously they saw crypto. And I'm not saying anything against or for crypto. But that's people that had a lot of their money invested in it also. And a lot of those people, it, the, the money is traced back to that. Those companies that had invested, the companies themselves that had invested in FTX, and now they they went belly up, which kind of affected this. I'm not saying it caused this, but it certainly didn't help this as far as a run on cash. Mm. One of the things, too, that I think is really important to point out as we talk about the tech industry is that the tech industry – they are not innovative investors. Uh, what I mean by that is they they know that the tech industry is usually a pretty blossoming industry on its own. So you don't have to be a good investor. If it's tech tech wise or tech tech in that field, I guess, it's probably going to succeed. The issue is that they're now starting to invest more of their money using the ESG, and I guess we probably need to do a topic on ESG or uh, kind of a tutorial on ESG one day, one day. That's ESG is where you get, and this is not a, uh, what's the best term for it? This is not a QAnon, um, you know, dark web conspiracy. This is a real thing. An ESG rating is a, it's a worldwide rating that a company can get based on what your green score is, you know, how many emissions, what's your carbon footprint, um, what your diversity score is, uh, a number of different things that are all social things, have nothing to do with the in investments that you make, nothing to do with what you're capable of as a business. It's all social virtue type stuff, things that make you feel good about yourself and your company. There's a score associated with that. And it's not really affecting a ton of things right now. They're trying to make this more of a scoring system for the United States also. But a lot of the world uses a scoring system. So what that means is, let's say, for instance, I don't know, um, Germany has a really good ESG score. I don't know if they do or not. I'm just saying, using them as an example. If Germany has a really good ESG score, then if they apply to a bank, say in, uh, I guess Russia is not a good place to say that, let's say a Saudi Arabia, if they want a big loan from Saudi Arabia, 
if their ESG score is acceptable or really good, they can not only get a good uh, a loan at a very good interest rate, sometimes if they have a really, really good ESG score, they can get it at a negative interest rate. So they can, they can actually make money off of a loan that they pull right off the bat just for pulling it because their ESG score is that good. And I say that good. Um, so it's however you feel about something, you let the world know and you can get a better score and make money off of that. So that's where the social justice stuff is starting to get into a point where it's becoming a business. Now, again, we're not quite there yet in the United States. The reason why I bring that up is because a lot of that ESG and the DEI, you've heard of diversity, equity and inclusion. A lot of that is the type of businesses that that Silicon Valley group of, uh, of companies that have their money invested in that bank were investing in. Well, this is a really good example that those policies and those types of businesses are not good and viable businesses to invest in. It's obvious that it's a failing industry if you try to hang your hat on feelings instead of actual shit that matters in the business world, you know, like producing things, selling them for a profit and doing things like that, doing things efficiently in the best possible way with the best possible technology. Not about how many people you you hire that are a certain color or a certain gender or have some kind of crazy gender that you check a box off with and say, yay, look what we did, you know, instead of worrying about the company's bottom line. So these people have forgotten about their own bottom line with their own company. And that's why banks like this are going to fail, because they think that it's a cool thing. Yay, look what we're doing. We're supporting all these industries that don't care about doing good or not, but look at all the cool people that they hired. You know, that's the problem that we're facing right here. And nobody wants to admit that on that side of it, that this is a piece of it. I'm not saying it's the reason for it, but it is certainly a piece of it because you cannot, look, all of us here run our own businesses. Every one of us on here, on this panel, we know how to run businesses successfully. If I ran my business based on hiring somebody because of how they look, what they said, and who they said they were, I would have been out of business 20-something years ago. You cannot run a business like that, and these people are attempting to. So that's my rant on that. But it's definitely a subset <clears throat> of the reason why these people are going bankrupt over there in Silicon Valley. No, that makes sense. If you got a feel-good administration, you're in inclusion. Everybody's good. Everybody's right. Well, that's not the case. I mean, producers mm -hmm. produce, and that's what happens, ROI. I, you hate saying that, but that's just a cold, hard facts. Well, everybody's so worried about getting canceled these days, including the big industries and big companies and whatnot. And so that's what that's what uh, Paul was saying was like you hire people based off of their color, their skin color and what they I don't know, Love their pronoun, you. all the all these things to be inclusive. But instead of hiring the best man for the job or woman for the job. And so it's that's we've right. come to the point in our country where it's you just you you can't be canceled you have to be politically correct all the time and it's just right. it's, it doesn't work mediocrity is not accepted right chad what's your thoughts well, i mean you know like i said we're self-employed and if i hire someone i need them to do a job it, for me i don't care if, if someone wants to apply and i don't even have to see them you know i, I i'm not looking right. at that you know send me your resume tell me what you have and i don't care you know, yep, uh, what right. race, color, whatever. If, if you have the skills so to do what I need to do, then my job is a performance-based thing. I need you to do something productive and produce this product for me. If you can't produce it, yeah. then it doesn't matter. You know, you aren't for the job. I don't care who you are. <laughs> so yeah, yeah exactly. if I'm in the if I'm in the business of producing <clears throat> something or making something or delivering a product to a client or doing a design, it, it, there's certain qualifications for that. Well. 
Yeah. To that to that point, I'm going to tell a quick story. This is pretty interesting. How long this wokeness has has been coming, and Mackenzie, I don't need to hear any smart ass comments about age in this one, if you don't mind. Uh, but uh, in in 2000, I left uh, working for a Fortune 500 company, and I was a regional manager, and I left on good terms. And my boss he asked me if I would help interview the people who were going to take my place. He said, well, you know, you know what these people need to do. Will you help me interview them? I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So we started the interview process and it it was a pretty solid job. So we had a lot of people that we had to go through that we interviewed, narrowed it down to five. So the best candidate, this is not a race thing, was a white male. He was older than I was, but he was, he was a white man. He was the best candidate best background. And we had a job now that, that dealt with customers at a major utility company. And we're talking about, I think, uh, 5 million people, something like that. So we dealt with the bills of all of these customers. So it wasn't like we were, I don't know, deciding what to name the next new color of paint or something like that. This was pretty, pretty serious what we did. Um, one of the people that we interviewed was a black female and I never will forget this for as long as I live. And I respected my boss a lot. I had a really good boss. He and I would hunt together. He's just a good guy. And, uh, we get through interviewing and I think we had like one or two others, but those people weren't going to be strong candidates, but we get through interviewing the black lady right after we had interviewed the white guy. And I never will forget my boss turning to me and he goes, uh, what do you think? I was like, Ugh. Dude, I'm just kind of laughing, like thinking he saw the same thing I did. We just interviewed an unqualified person. He looks at me and he goes, yeah, but uh, that's a double banger. I said, what? He said, that's a double banger. We had this process that once a year we got evaluated. It was called a performance planning and review. We called it our PP&Rs. It was our annual reviews. And on our reviews at that level of management, we got one section on it, which was responsible for about 10%, believe it or not, of our bonus and our pay increase for the following year was tied to diversity. And Steve says, she's a double banger that she's black and she's a female. This man is not worried about a person that he's got to hire that is going to manage an $11 million budget. That's not on his mind. He's not thinking about this idiot that we just interviewed will screw up an $11 million budget if she can even do a budget. But guess what? At the end of the year, I'm going to get a double bang on my bonus. And I told Steve, I said, Steve, that's 10%. You got 90% of the rest of your performance planning and review. That's tied to performance. She's only 10%. Oh, we'll make the rest of it work. He was willing to risk 90% of his bonus to get that guaranteed 10%. And he hired that lady. He hired her. I tell you, when he told me that, I said, I want no part of this, man. I said, I like you as a friend, but I said, maybe you're part of the reason why I'm leaving. You know, I could not believe that he did that. And that's when this happened in 2000. This was my first major taste of anything like this in my professional career. And I, I can promise you, after that, I never looked back. I said, I'll never work for anybody else. And I'll never work for a major corporation for the rest of my life. Wow. So back in 2000, this started. I mean, it's been going on for a long time, Yeah, obviously, but. That was the first I saw it. I mean, I, you know, I guess it wasn't as prevalent 
but when that came up, I mean, I knew it was silly on our uh, performance planning and review, but not many of us paid any attention to it. Apparently, Steve did. So that was sad. And just for uh, for the record, she did screw up royally. The uh, We had a policy uh, at this company that if we came back within five years of leaving, we could pick back up at our exact same salary and all the same benefits and everything. And they called me for three years asking me to come back. But she was screwing that region up so bad. She was an absolute train wreck. Yep. But he got his bonus. Yep. He got his bonus that one year. He got it. <laughs> that's crazy. We see that all the time now, though. That's I mean, that's just where we're at. Yep. That's we sad. All the time. All right. Y'all got anything else on this? I want to move on to the next one if you guys are OK with that. Let's go. Yep. All good. All good. All right. This next one is pretty interesting, too. Um, don't know if you guys heard, but over the weekend and leading into today, the Biden administration approved um, a pretty good bit of oil drilling up in Alaska. Now, it was kind of weird how they did this because they're in a position, the Biden administration is, where they've tanked the entire oil industry. They've come out and said, we're not going to drill anymore. That was a lie, but still, he said what he wanted to do. They have jacked oil prices up. No, that's not good for the industry. The industry has actually had to jack that up because so much was taken away from them. They've limited oil production across the country. We've ramped up all of our purchases of offshore oil from other countries. So because they know they can't win a re-election in 2024, if that's even a possibility, they know they have to do something about oil. They got to bring the prices down. And typically rolling in the summer is when you see those prices begin to increase a little bit more. So this is their way to try to set up for the reelection next year, the reelection campaign for Biden. A couple of days before they made this announcement that you see on your screen, they announced that they were going to make it stricter and more stringent in some of those same areas in Alaska to drill. Some, a lot of them would be off, uh, um, uh, off limits, and they weren't going to allow people to drill. Then yesterday and today, they announced that they're going to allow additional drilling in other parts of Alaska. Now, to be more specific, let me try to read some of this. Biden, uh, the Biden administration is approving an oil drilling project on Alaska's petroleum-rich North Slope, a major environmental decision by President Joe Biden that drew quick cond condemnation as flying in the face of his pledges to slow climate change. The announcement came a day after the administration in a move in the other direction toward conservation, said it would bar or limit drilling in some other areas of Alaska and the Arctic Ocean. Uh, and by the way, um, this is a an, a an AP article that I'm reading from. I try to pull as many articles as I can from left-leaning pieces so people don't think that we're being biased here. Uh, climate activists were outraged that Biden approved the project, which they say puts his climate legacy at risk. You see, that's telling right there that that's what they care about. Legacy, not what actually happens, what people think of him in the future. This mm -hmm. is called the Willow Project, by the way. And the Willow Project could produce up to 180,000 barrels of oil a day, create up to 250,000 jobs, 300 long-term jobs, and generate billions of dollars in royalties and tax revenues for the federal, state, and local governments the company said. Okay, a couple of key points that I'd like to point out before we move on is that you'll remember that I think it was day one, the Biden administration shut down the Keystone Pipeline. The Keystone Pipeline was designed to bring oil that was drilled in Canada down through uh, into the United States and disseminate that to, to different refineries in the United States. Pipelines 
are the cleanest way to move oil, by far the cleanest way. It's absolutely stupid to think that there's a better way because any other way involves any kind of combustion engine, which is what the left hates already. So to move oil throughout the, th from Canada throughout the United States would require, require trains, trucks, cars, boats, anything like that, except for a pipeline, which the oil just passes right through. There's no motor to that. It's pumped through there. Um, it's actually uses electricity for all the electricity these people are always wanting to use. That's how that stuff is run through there. So a pipeline, the biggest danger to um, the environment, if you want to call it that, is the digging of a ditch to put the pipeline in. The pipeline does not gush oil out to various locations. It just doesn't. We work around pipelines all the time. I'm sitting probably 150 yards from a pipeline right now. So you, all you have is green grass over these things. It's not like this is some nuclear thing that's just sitting there oozing stuff out of it and it's always it's killing everything around it it's not how pi pipelines work in fact the government regulates these pipelines to where they're actually mandated and take taken care of better than any other um, government-owned land out there so they killed keystone pipeline killed a bunch of jobs put a bunch of people out of work and now they're saying that oh we need to do something to get these people back so they would vote for us I want to hear you guys' thoughts on this because I have some points on this, and I'm, I'm hoping you guys have some of the same thoughts that I have. Uh, Mackenzie, let's go to you first. What's your thoughts on this, if you want to call it a reversal of a previous Biden uh, policy where they did not want to drill anywhere, and now they're saying, hey, let's drill up there in Alaska? I mean, it's kind of like proves my point that I said a couple weeks ago, or they're, they're screwing themselves. I mean, they've already, the damage is already done. They've lost the trust of so many people as is. They've already come in and explained and um, done all of their, all of their speeches and whatnot publicly on why it's so bad, why we had to cancel, why we had to cancel it. People put their trust in the fact that they had to cancel it and this and that. And now they're going to come back and try to tell us, no, it's good. No, they're screwing themselves. And people are so much smarter than that, I hope. Uh, yeah. Kendall, what's your thoughts? Uh, I Kind of like you, I'll agree in the, the, the both sides of it because uh, obviously, you know, most of us were in favor of the Keystone Pipeline. And so as soon as like literally the day he's sworn in, and that's like literally day one that he goes on the offensive and shuts down that stuff. And you're kind of like, man. Are you completely lost as, as to how we transport fuel and things kind of get around? Um, but then you see him open this and he's he's pissing off his, you know, his supporters. And you're like, OK, what could that be done for? You have to say it's it's a, a, a knee jerk reaction to his reelection campaign. And there's honestly they. What else could it be? He's going against every fiber of his being, what he was elected on. Like, this is literally against all that he stands for. So what else could it be? He realizes inflation. He realizes what he's doing right now to the, the, the U.S. economy. And he's got to go at it some way. And he's going to now try to say he made jobs, not just government jobs. That's really the only thing he can brag about most of the time. But I thought I read a little article um, from The Guardian. It said it's outrageous that Biden seems ready to greenlight the massively destructive Willow Project, prioritizing oil industry profits over the future of polar bears and other Arctic wildlife. We'll keep fighting until it's scrapped. Like, did, I just wonder, do they think China gives a rat's ass about these polar bears. I, I really just wonder all these left side guys, 
I mean, are, are you guys serious that you're willing to do all this detriment to to us, to, to our people, and you're saving all this stuff? But do you think any of these other countries truly care about it? They're the only ones we lead the way, always leading the way, always giving the most to Ukraine, always doing the stuff that we do, and we get no backing from anybody else. But yet we're 38 trillion. What's, what's our number today? 31 and a half trillion. Like I said, 31 and a half, not 38. But I mean, at what point do we say, golly, we've got to be solvent as a country? Like you said earlier, no business can run like this. We can't just continue to, to, to lean on the FDIC and then we're going to you know, now lean on these these fees, but still leave us $112 million shy of taking care of what we need to take care of. And it's going to be left to the taxpayers. They don't expect it to be put on the taxpayers. They keep giving this bullshit out of both sides of their mouth. And, man, you know, again, it's it's these purple politics, these these these, you know, blue dogs that go along with half this crap that they're they're up to. And, oh, we got this passed. So now we're going to go along with some other stuff that's going on. I don't know, man. It just um, it kind of gets frustrating. It gets uh, under my skin a lot of it. Chad, what do you think? Well, I mean, I'm kind of glad you brought up the Keystone thing way back when because we live in an area of oil and gas and industry and pipelines um, in our area. And I remember when that, you know, there, there's always ups and downs in that industry. And I've been around long enough to see friends that are in it that, oh, it's this year the oil industry is great. Well, next year, well, it's not really good this year. So it does go up and down. But but shutting that pipeline, I think that causes a lot of da- – I mean, did do a lot of damage in our area. Uh, I think there were some jobs lost and some businesses probably closed and, and things like that. So, and there he goes, well, Alaska's always been off off limits to almost everybody. And then all of a sudden, no, let's, let's go here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in two weeks, he's going to come back and go, well, now we need to reopen this pipeline I closed because we got to send all this somewhere. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> where are we going? <laughs> yeah, where's it going? Um, well, funny thing is, speaking of Keystone, is that, when they first talked about the gas prices getting all hiked up during the first six months of the administration, the new administration, first thing they said was, well, you know, the Keystone Pipeline, you know, it's it's, it's years away from, uh, you know, being completed. When you say years, that means one or more. Guess what? It would have been completed by now. Mm-hmm. Like right now it would mm-hmm. have been complete. If we would have continued work on that, it would be done right now and it would be pushing all clean that was drilled in Canada, what they're saying is instead of, because they don't want to admit they're wrong, instead of opening or letting the Keystone Pipeline start back up and pull that oil from Canada, which obviously it's drilled in Canada, guess what? It's not being drilled in America. Isn't that a good thing for Americans? But no, we're going to drill on American soil now in Alaska. Again, I don't have a problem with them drilling. I'm just saying using their argument that drilling is bad, they're going to do it on American soil now. And we still, like I said, we still got to get it here. So we would have had a pipeline that would have been running by now, but we shuttled that thing and got, you know, laid all these people off. I also wonder, y'all mentioned jobs. I wonder if they do it. Well, we know they don't. I'm being sarcastic when I say this. If they do a net count of jobs. So if we do something catastrophic to the industry that costs 10,000 people to get laid off. Whenever we go back and create new jobs and create 10,000, they brag about creating 10,000 jobs, but it's a net zero effect because you've made 10,000 lose their jobs before. 
So they don't count those. And that drives me absolutely (laughs) insane that we're not we're not keeping score in all of this. Well, that's like Biden coming back and saying a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, whatever it was uh, saying, you know, the the economy, these are the most jobs we've created in however many years. And it's like, no, because you you made everyone lose their job at one point. So are you like recalculate calculating the people that are trying to get employed again because you took away so many jobs or what are how are how are you? you know, comparing these two. Not to cover McKenzie up here, but I want to post this. Uh, sorry, McKenzie. I want to post this, uh, this comment right here. Ava Windsor says uh, the Keystone XL pipeline would have been 960,000 barrels a day from Canada. Wow. That's pretty impressive. But yet we're, we're going to scuttle that. Let's, let's not do that. <laughs> right. A um, couple of points I want to make on this. And, and I know I cut somebody off a minute ago. So cut me off if y'all remember your point, whatever it was. Um the thing I get about the the Biden administration trying to do this now to gain some cheap votes in an industry that they feel like they wanted to slam from day one is that we all know that if they are fortunate enough to get, in their eyes, reelected, that this is the first thing they would do is cancel this once they got reelected. This is only a plot to get reelected and try to get the oil industry, what's left of it, to somehow support him in some kind of way. And I also wonder this, okay, if this is such a great idea that they're doing this and the reason for doing it is for oil prices being where they are and, you know, to help the economy and all that, then why the reversal? In other words, they could have done this two and a half years ago. They're admitting that all their policy decisions were wrong regarding the oil industry. So now they're doing this because they know it's the only thing, whether their heart is in it or not to like the oil industry, they know that it's going to improve the country. They know it's going to improve the economy. They know it's going to reduce uh, gas prices if we start to do this. All these things are good for us as Americans. So they're doing this to get those things so they can get reelected. How twisted and, and disgusting is it to have people who are willing to do the right thing to get reelected only to scrap those things once they get in office. To me, that is the sign of a freaking psychopath, if you ask me. Well, sometimes it feels very spiteful because so many of these policies that were reversed were because they were under the Trump administration. And so it's like anything that Trump had its hand on, it's like they knew they knew deep down that it was good for the economy. It was good for the people. It was good for it was good for the people. But because it was under Trump's administration, it had to go. Right. And that's what it feels like. That's what it yep. always feels like. And so what's the saying where it's like, you know, now that he's trying to put this back into place and we're doing this drilling in Alaska, what I mean, what's the saying where it's don't don't piss down my back and tell me it's raining. Well, you've already pissed off all of, you know, the right side <laughs> and yeah. you've already lost. Now you're just losing trust in the left side. So it's like, who are you going to meet in the middle with these policies? Because you're losing trust in in your votes on both sides at this point. Yep. It's almost like they had a fundamental change of heart all of a sudden, like, you know what? I had an epiphany. Maybe we should be on the side of all this and screw green energy. This goes against everything that you stood for. It makes absolutely no sense to me. So I call it purple politics. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of for both sides and I'm for everything. What are you talking about? You spoke against this for so long. This is your platform. Green, 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 green. And well, that was it just a policy that was like silently kind of demolished or whatever? No, this was like huge news, yeah. like big, big news that he spoke on. They were very passionate about, like didn't need it. Cut it out. And they did it quick. Right. 
Um, I just wonder, we're going to hear that same speech from Kamala about the buses and they got chargers <laughs> and they run on green energy. Am I the only one hearing her say this about 200,000 times every time she opens her mouth? It's about these god dang buses. I can't listen to her. Yeah, I don't know. We're going to hear a whole lot more from her. Um, <laughs> leading, I mean, they're trying to keep her and Joe both quiet. I'm curious, guys, <laughs> and this is kind of a pop quiz. I'm and and uh, there is a right answer to this, by the way. I'm curious if you guys do you, I know we were all taught this in school, do you still consider the oil industry a fossil fuel industry? And there is a right answer to this, Kendall. What do you think? Man, I, you got me thinking now. Is anytime you open your mouth, there's always <laughs> something to it. Um, and so, yeah, we were, that's what we were taught. It was uh, fossil fuel. So it was. Um, yeah, dinosaurs, right? Yeah. Exactly right. It came from the, the bones and the, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, way down deep in the core, covered up by dinosaur dung. Mackenzie, what about you? I think so, honestly, yeah. Chad, are you already yeah. Googling to see what I'm asking? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. you asked no, but I would, yeah. I would say yes. Uh, I would say yes, but I, I'm not 100% sure what you're going. Do y'all know that has been disproven? Really? Not not by Dude. QAnon or anybody like that. Okay. I it believe that. Fauci. So what, it, what is Fauci. it? Fauci. Investors Business Daily, back in 2015, and there's other articles that have come out. This is one of those little hidden gem secrets that nobody wants to talk about. Most people have not heard about, but the left doesn't want to talk about because they've always had this thing that we have to go towards renewable energy because we're running out of, quote, fossil fuels. Fossil fuels, it's not a thing. Oil, coal, all of that, none of that came from dead dinosaurs. That's wrong. That is a myth that's been disproven scientifically. I'm going to read a little bit of this article. And I wish I'd have had this soon enough for I'd have, I'd have sent it to Chad. Of course, I would have given him the answer. That would have been fair. <laughs> ever, ever, this is an article, again, guys, uh, November 4th, 2015. Ever since M. King Hubbard in the 50s convinced a lot of people with his peak oil theory that production will collapse and we'd eventually exhaust our crude supplies, the clock has been running and running. And it will continue to run for some time as technology and new discoveries show that there's still an ocean of oil under feet. Uh, let's see where. Here we go. A BP official told the magazine uh, Engineering Technology that energy resources are plentiful. Concerns over running out of oil and gas have disappeared. We call energy sources such as crude oil and natural gas fossil fuels based on the assumption that they are the products of decaying organisms, maybe even dinosaurs themselves. But the label is a misnomer. Research from the last decade found that hydrocarbons are synthesized abiotically. Data imply that hydrocarbons are produced chemically from carbon found in the Earth's mantle. It's not right. dinosaurs. We are not running out of fossil fuels. None of that. Huh. This is naturally recurring stuff within the, the Earth's crust core and all that kind of stuff that is continuing to replenish itself. And I read this a couple of years ago, not back in 2015. I didn't know this was I didn't know this back in 2015. I <laughs> thought the same thing about dinosaurs. But um, I remember reading some articles and it actually talked about how um the reason they started asking these questions about the earth replenishing and making additional quote fossil fuels is because some of these oil companies would go back to dried up oil wells that were dried up, like dried up 
produced billions of barrels of oil. They went back and they pulled another billion uh, of barrels of oil out of it a few years later. Well, it's not seeping from somewhere else. As you guys know, when these people are drilling for oil, you know, they they hit this ground all over the place and they x-ray it. They know where every vein of oil is coming to that's going to feed into those oil pools. So it's not like they accidentally overlooked something that now provided billions more uh, oil. So it's interesting. If you go read, you'll, you'll find that this is something that nobody talks about because they still want to keep it out there that, oh, my God, we have to rush to green stuff because not only is it bad for our environment, but we're going to run out one day and we won't have a way to heat our homes. That's a lie. That's a myth. And that's been disproven. And I find that crazy. And I'm not picking on you guys. I'm just saying I didn't find this out until a year or so ago. It's crazy. Nobody knows this. It's just like a thing that this is investors business daily. This is not like some weird plug. You can Google this and you'll find a hundred articles on it. So it's, it's not like some dark web, you know, secret that's going around that QAnon or Trump started. This is yeah. just science magazines are the ones putting this stuff out. I guess so, I never really thought about it. <laughs> I, I found this fall while we were talking about the, the Biden uh, Alaska thing. I'm like thinking in the back of my head, I'm going, what does AOC think of all this? <laughs> so I did oh, find an article God. on it. So apparently she's not uh, very oh, yeah. happy with them. Well, duh. She's the worst. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Duh. Democrats uh, issuing stinging rebuke of Biden over failed climate promises. Yeah. I yeah. mean, she's not the only one. <laughs> well, and she yeah. doesn't want to misrepresent her 16 voters either. So That's right. Yeah. She's got to stay true. Right. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Not surprised. So, yeah, tell your kids the next time they come home with their homework talking about fossil fuels. Ruin it for them. Tell them dinosaurs yeah. had nothing to do with it. <laughs> They're still using the textbooks from the 80s. That's right. Oh, man. Well, I mean, not just the 80s. If McKenzie graduated in 2010 or whatever. Right, last summer? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 2010. <laughs> All right, okay, guys. guys. Anything else y'all want to bring up? I know we were without McKenzie last week. McKenzie, glad you're doing a little bit better and could join us Thank this you. week. Absolutely. Kind of suck I'll, not having you here, but glad you're and I'll back. just add, you guys, that I I am a little bit knowledgeable. I am thirty now, okay. Ah, okay. We've entered the thirties, so I'm full of knowledge at this point. Almost two full generations of being an adult. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're learning. Well, guys, I think we might cut out of here a little bit early today. I, actually, I'm pulling double duty right now, if y'all don't mind. Uh, my wife is out of town, and I have a a son in there that I've already bathed and now I need to go put him to bed. So uh, mm-hmm. I might need to be cutting out of here early. I would like to remind everybody again to please go to the different locations that you can uh, start to follow think town podcast on social media, Facebook, of course, YouTube subscribe there, uh, share the channel if you could also, and also share what we're doing over here. We are going to try to provide as much of the current event type date as we can. A lot of times we don't put what we're going to be talking about out into the last minute, because that is kind of a changing environment. In fact, some of these things we talked about tonight literally came out today. So um, I did want to make sure that we try to keep these uh, these shows as topical as we possibly can. Um, So again, our apologies for not putting anything out early saying what we're talking about, because we don't always know. Um, But if you would, please go to uh, the thinktown. Actually, thinktown.live is the website, and that's where you can enter the contest to win this AR-15 right here that shoots 22 long rifle from Tipman Arms, and it's got the Gun Owners of America logo emblazoned on the side with laser engraving. It's a pretty cool little collaboration that they put together. Uh, And some of one of the guys on here earlier asked uh, about 
a Second Amendment rights organization, which one I uh, would suggest they support. And it's definitely Gun Owners of America. I'm actually the state director for Louisiana for GOA, and, I, and I, I'm proud of that. So I certainly think that GOA is the best, uh, certainly the tip of the spear in a lot of cases. So if you're looking for a place and you want to be a part of the, the gun rights activism uh, industry, uh, go to Gun Owners of America. I think it's gunowners.org is what their website is, gunowners.org. And uh, you can sign up there. In fact, if you go to, if you want to save f- five bucks on your uh, membership, I believe a membership is typically $25 a year. You can get it for 20 bucks if you go through my link on Legally Armed America. So go to the link in a description of this video on Legally Armed America later on, and I'll have the link down there. You can save five bucks. So again, I, I don't recall who that was that asked, but if you're looking for one, I wouldn't put my money in the NRA. I'm not trying to bash some of the other organizations out there, but they have their own problems with corruption right now. Until they fix that, I wouldn't recommend giving them any of your money. Um, but So GOA is definitely the right one to go to. Uh, but again, guys, go to thinktown.live. Check out the different ways to follow the channel, and uh, that will give you additional entries to win this AR-15, which we will be drawing roughly about the interannual meeting time. That will be up in Indianapolis, Indiana, I think at the end of April, something like that. Um, so guys, um, Chad, Kendall, Mackenzie, you guys got anything to add before we cut out of here? Good. Good. Thanks guys. Yeah. I just want to add, I just want to add, pray for the umpires in the Southland conference. Oh yeah. We (laughs) forgot about that. Let's go over that. Hey, leave that out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I forgot about it. No, we're good. I got a minute. Go ahead and run that chat if you get a second. Those of you guys that are still here, I want you to run it. This is something that Kendall submitted that uh, I, I saw the video, but I didn't get to see what really happened. Little Kendall. questionable strike call. Low in the zone right there. Blue gives him a strike on that. He don't like it, obviously. He's jumping around, fired up. <laughs> Mississippi State's down right now by four. Umpire obviously ready to go home. Next pitch is going to be down in the way. He rings him up. <laughs> Bam! No way. It's a big ring. Oh, so, literally, sports world's going nuts. I think that catcher is even like, okay, dude, I, I know that was wrong. Catcher. Yeah, that no, right. Like, Ooh, that was bad. So, the umpire ends up getting suspended indefinitely. But this guy actually called uh, – he was part of the crew that called a World Series game when uh, Raging Cajuns played uh, in 2000. So, this this guy's not no, like, small-town blue. He, he's, he's a legit blue South of Conference, obviously, McNeese Cowboys. Um, but goodness gracious, I understand you're ready for a game to be over with. He's got some, but, he's got some inside betting going on. Someone's paying uh, that man. <laughs> either that or he had Taco Bell before the game. That's a very <laughs> He had some place to be. Potentially yeah. more likely. I mean, it's a 7-3 game. He's ready to hit, uh, you know, hit the road. Two yeah. outs. And bam, it hangs it up. I, I thought it was worth uh, mentioning just to see how bad it was. Um, but still, again, still, again, not as bad as the Biden administration. And you got to <laughs> appreciate that. It's kind of the same thing. We're watching it before our eyes. You can't deny it. Literally. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We've been watching January 6 footage the last two weeks. They're telling us oh. that it's all fake. So uh, we still chat. I think we need to pull something up on that in, uh, next week or the week after. Once more, Definitely. I think you're finding more of it out there now. Uh, that's just the raw footage instead of some like Tucker do- documenting over it or something like that. We might want to try to pull some of that and look at it. I think that that's pretty interesting to show. 
uh, yeah. some of what's been out there. Yeah, it would be Crazy great. Stuff. All right, friends. Well, we're going to cut out of here. Uh, Chad, McKenzie, Kendall, thank you guys for <laughs> hanging out. This has been fun. Uh, good show. Thanks. And I appreciate everybody uh, that watched tonight. Uh, had a pretty good audience out there. Uh, always, you can go back and rewatch these things if you want to. They'll always be out there on uh, YouTube. So check them out later on if you missed it this time. Perfect. Good deal. See you guys. Good night. Thanks. See, you guys. See ya.